Welcome one and all to Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. Have a seat. Grab your favorite drink for tonight's cruise is going to be on economic theory. For one particular, the moneyless society economic theory. That's something that I've been pondering this past few weeks. It all began with a random a random post on Facebook where somebody was talking about how pointless it is for people like you and myself to continue to work when the world is crumbling around us, especially for reasons such as money. For those who may not quite understand, uh, moneyless... So uh, moneyless society theorem discusses the idea that in the grand scheme of things, we have placed too much value on currency and that we should try to instead establish a society where our, our value is not in towards currency but rather in something else. It's not necessarily saying that we live in a moneyless, like completely uh, valueless society, but rather that we find an alternate means of finding uh, alternate means of value. It's not quite communistic, but there are some similarities between it and communism. And... I I bring this up because with how things are becoming at the moment, if you haven't taken a notice, like things like the uh, the housing market crisis, things are getting quite quite dangerously. Uh, I wouldn't say scary, but they are getting dangerously critical. Because we're getting to the point where it will not be feasible for the average person like you and myself. We'd be be able to uh, afford to own our own property. But rather, we'd be forced to live essentially like serfs, peasants, where we will be perpetually renting from lifelong landlords, whether they be from banks or from uh, essentially wealthy, wealthy statesmen who were able to buy up the market. Because that's what's essentially going on right now. We are dealing a situation where Essentially, Wall Street is buying literally everything they can get their hands on at inflated prices so that the average Joe can't compete. So I want to propose a question to you, both my co-hosts and the viewer. The listener. Do you believe in the possibility of a moneyless class society? And if you do, what would you propose? What kind of society? What kind, how would you go on about it? How would you make it function? Because in all reality, I don't know if such a thing could be possible. Are we heading towards a complete collapse? Or are we blowing this completely out of proportion? Uh, Two things can be true at the same time in regards to this. I think that there is a certain level of concern that every person needs to have, whether you be a homeowner or a potential homeowner or even a renter at this point. Um, I've talked with 
other people on this, other people who are homeowners. I've talked to people who have differing uh, political views than I do, uh, more more hard left views than I do, and they despise what is going on currently in the markets with housing, etc., because they are Marxist, neo-Marxist individuals, and they look at the concept of landlords as an affront to everything that they stand for as far as I, their ideology is concerned. So they've, they're watching what's going on in the housing market with uh, relative concern. M- looking at the way things broke down as far as the generations were concerned, the millennials are much more, <laughs> I wouldn't say averse to home ownership because that would be unfair. I'm pretty sure most people, no matter their generation, would like to have a place to settle down that they have some form of static ownership over that they don't have to worry about anything more than maintenance and maybe a few insurance payments here and there. But regards to the concept of uh, being permanent renters, as you had brought up, uh, I don't think any person wants to be in perpetual limbo with regards to that, especially because being a renter makes you susceptible to things that you don't have any control over. And it forces you to, in, it forces you to ever be in court battling with your landlord for every single thing that you need to d- change over, you know, fix up. If you want to have an, a house pet, something to that effect, no matter what going to your question about, uh, the, you know, the moneyless society. I believe it's doable in smaller micro nations where bartering can be used in place of actual currency. But given how varied people's professions are and expertise and, and the like, it's very unlikely that having a moneyless society would be functional because there needs to be some form of static note that can be passed around as a promissory note for different functions, whether it be for uh, services rendered or purchasing of goods and other uh, other sundries, that kind of stuff. It's, that's, it's, actually a, that's actually a fair point. But uh, why do you think why do you think that has to be? Why do you think? Uh... Why do you think people tend to uh, forget this sort, no, this one detail? Because I feel like when people bring up uh, stateless, moneyless, and classless societies, uh, that they don't tend to understand the point of the exchange of currency, because it seems it's almost if, it's almost they it's almost as if they believe that. Uh, goods and services can be uh, exchanged with one another through sheer of duty or camaraderie. And I can't honestly in good conscience agree with that notion because everyone to, I, I think the biggest reality check that people need to understand, we are all in a perpetual state of competition uh, against one another whether we like that or not because in order for things to grow progress and evolve you have to be in a state of competition otherwise you enter a state of stagnation well i mean if you look if you look at the way the animal kingdom functions they are in a constant state of competition because the food chain the food chain isn't suspended for them they still have to deal with it to an extent well, the people, when they look at that, they think that it's a completely harmonious balance that they share everything. And the reality is, no, the, it's harmonious in the fact that everything has its place and goes along with their role so effectively that it seems like it's all being reused because nature seldom wastes anything at the end of the day. And, we want, and the thing we, we tend to forget is that whether we like it or not, we are also part of nature. And that means we too are susceptible to, the, or I should say we are subject to the laws of nature 
just as much as any other creature that doesn't have the rational minds quite like ours, which is how the which is how uh, uh, systems like capitalism, for instance, has been as effective as it's been. And now that's including with all the flaws it has, because it's not at all a perfect system. No system is, but it has been at the very least the most effective thus far. And I think that in this particular case, uh, the moneyless uh, society theorem tends to ignore these, uh, these simple truths, I would say. And because they ignore it, it almost has me thinking that it's a far too idealistic plan for anyone to be able to uh, execute it properly. True. Um, but as I said before, there, there, there are likely instances where either a moneyless or a partial or a partially moneyless society is, is capable. But again, you're talking micronations and island societies where everything is, is interwoven into, into each other with very little, with very little, uh, breaking and either because of lack of influence from the outside world or just genuine, uh, genuine, uh, isolation for other reasons but when you get to larger bodies full countries nations etc things start to break down where bartering is a bit more difficult for one other reason everyone believes at least for the most part that what they bring to the table has intrinsic value what an what an what currency does is allow you to quantify that in a way that is definable to other people and you don't have any you don't have any particular uh, miscommunication on that because you have a physical embodiment of what that actually entails that you can give to other people it's the reason why you have a standardized currency in any given uh, any given society because if a baker is baking bread it's easy, much easier to sell the bread to anybody who wants to purchase it and have more capability to get what you want to get with it instead of having to trade for trade your bread for something else to trade for something else to trade for something else and create a weird you know chain of events to even get anywhere near what you would prefer to get with it that's fair. Uh, I would. I. I agree. Um, the reason why currencies exist the way that they are is because we don't want complicated uh, trade sequences with one another. At the end of the day, we will. We don't always have the. We don't always share the same common interest and desires, or the same things or services. Like that perfect example, the baker. You can have bread. You can offer bread for people who want, who want the bread. But let's say you want something from someone. Let's say, oh, I don't know. You want a shirt. But the person who is selling the shirt is not interested in your bread. Then a trade is not possible because there's nothing between you two that can make the trade possible. All money is is a third-party unit of exchange that grants people the ability to acquire goods and services without the need of creating overly complicated trade chains. Because at the, at the basic core level, human beings are going to want and need different things and the oh, and unfortunately, we are not capable as individuals to create and have everything. A society like ours is only possible because we have agreed with one another on a general sense 
that there is value amongst things that we each can provide and that it requires us to essentially trade a, a trade something that will enable us to acquire services, goods, and ideas from others as a payment of debt. And I don't think that something like a moneyless society on the grand scheme of things is going to offer that same thing. Because for an example that I would like to put is agriculture. It is at the forefront center of the entire world. Our society cannot exist without agriculture. Do you want to know the, populate, the, the population percentage of people in the entire world that, that works in agriculture? 1%. Not 10%. Not 5%, not even 2%. One. This means that if we were to go to a moneyless society, for instance, for uh, on a global scale, the most important critical aspect of our society would have all the advantage because 99% of the population will not be able to grow food as effective and efficiently as those who currently work in agriculture. Those people in agriculture own a very, very critical tool or have a very, very critical skill and trade that barters competent compensation. Because I guarantee you that, let's say, a journalist isn't going to be able to offer much of anything to a farmer while the farmer has all the food supply that the journalist will not be able to acquire. This is true. And in the current environment, that is something that is in place. A moneyless society, at least the utopian vision that most people look to, is one where Agriculture is no longer needed, in and in place of it, technology, engineering are things that have replaced it, and biological science is, put, is used as an implementation. Uh, 3D printing is something that is an ever-advancing technology. And when we acquire, when we are all given to owning a 3D printer or having access to a 3D printer, that can print anything including food or other things we will eventually hit a point where we hit that we we have no longer have scarcity there won't be any particular we there won't be people in need because there will always be a way for them to acquire food water medical supplies etc the problem with this is is that despite the utopian viewpoint we're miles away from where we need to be for that to be effective one of the because the the concept that you're talking about at least in in part the these the moneyless society is is a is part of the zero scarcity uh viewpoint that we will eventually hit a point of enlightenment and technological advancement that we no longer need currency or really any kind of exchange beyond what we deem necessary or at least what we deem you know worthy of our time because all other human needs have been met to a sufficient manner the problem with this is that we have not completely eliminated all forms of illness 
in fact, we, we apparently seem to be generating more out of the ether out of nowhere. Um, and cancer hasn't been defeated yet in any meaningful and reasonable capacity. So with those things still on the, on the plate and haven't been you know, dealt with, it, we're, we're never going to hit a point where, where a moneyless society is even feasible. In a lot of cases, the, the moneyless society is taking viewpoints from more science fiction view, uh, philosophies, such as Star Trek, where it, the, the Federation operates in a, in a space where they, know, they do not need currency because they have the technology to provide them with every reasonable necessity. Medical treatments are provided by the Federation. You have replicators to make food. Weaponry is standardized and relatively advanced. Travel is near instantaneous anywhere in the world and anywhere in the near universe. Uh, earthly pleasures can be provided using using holographic advanced holographic technology. These things are are utopian viewpoints because even if we wanted to be that in that particular, it, we're nowhere near where that would be feasible. So in the current, moneyless societies are more functionaries of smaller micro areas. In larger areas, it's not conceivably possible because there will always be need, need of a promissory note to be able to exchange between people as far as goods and services are concerned. Moreover, there's a huge imbalance, as you were talking about earlier, with regards to uh, functional jobs in in the work markets across the world. There are way too many people in one profession over another, either because of personal preferences or because of a perceived notion that it would it might be a more practical way to achieve personal prosperity. Whether that's true or not, I, I mean, you'd have to look at the results on an individual basis. But I mean, from what I've noticed, it's not as true as it could be or at least that boat has sailed and the individuals are now stuck in a profession where they're not going to make anywhere near the money they assume they were going to continue to do agree although i would say that in a general sense it is indeed based on how advanced we have made the tech of a of of our more basic of our more basic fields such as agriculture because if it if the field of agriculture hasn't advanced as as much as it has now, societies wouldn't be nearly as large or as expansive as they are now. But I will agree with you that it is also have brought in a negative uh, aspect to it, where many fields have, in ex as a result, have become far too. Uh, crowded too much competition in many different fields of study that now has left many people essentially either earning far less than they would have before or jobless to some extent and they and even worse where some have even refused to take upon new studies because they refuse to budge from that particular area, and I get, I I can get it to, I can understand to an extent. I mean, if it's your like your dream to work in that field of study, fine. But if you're not making, if you're not making the 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 monetary gains that you've wanted, it kind of behooves you to try and move towards a more practical field where you can recoup some of the losses that you've met that, that you've uh, that you sustained because otherwise it's only going to be that much worse for you at least in more practical fields there's always going to be enough of a demand where you won't always be completely uh, phased out because they are essentials but if you're working on a more elective field, it's only going to be inevitable. Uh, it's inevitably going to be uh, faded away, especially when it becomes overcrowded. 
and this is no more true than during um, during the mid mid to late nineties when a great deal of people who were graduating at that point were going into web design and computer tech and had oversaturated the market to the point where by the time the two thousands rolled in and, and even into the early 2010s, there were so many people with web design who were, just, who were throwing out their name anywhere that they could, and they couldn't get any, any bites at all. And this has kind of extended out to, uh, different different levels of journalism as well it, from the 2010s to 2020s because the 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 market for journalism has continued to shift as the internet became much more prominent and the way things function now it feels as though a lot of the more effective metrics for journalism have been tossed out the window in favor of something that's a bit more junk food and worrying more about how many people have eyes on your website than trying to actually transmit any real information. And honestly, it's, it's a 50 50 split between whose fault that really is. If you look at the, if you look at the field and the market market out there, it's not completely the fault of these companies for aiming for that particular business model, because that's how much, time any given person is giving to news they look at the headline they either go a couple paragraphs in at most if they're generous and that's about the extent of the effort they're willing to put into reading something before they formulate an opinion and move on with their lives the other half of it is continuing to feed that so it's a it's a vicious cycle of well they're not reading these really well well thought out well researched articles they're just reading the headlines and making an assumption cool then we'll just make we'll try and we'll try and inject as much information in the headline as possible where they don't have to go any further than that and they and they can formulate an opinion just based on that which is extremely reckless you cannot make an you cannot give an individual you know up two pages three pages worth of information in you know, two lines of dialogue. It's not feasible and it's completely and utterly destructive. And what, and, and it only came about because of this belief that there, that a lot of the print, the print news and all of that was dying. So rather than try and evolve it in a way that would be much more functional for busy people, because let's be honest, most people are doing things and moving around the concept of the you know the, the the working class individual sitting at their table reading the news before they go to work is downright antiquated in the face of you know the technology we have now where I, any either of us can go on our phone and go to any of the news websites that are prominent either in our local area or even go for national news and get a, an article with very little difficulty we won't, sometimes we don't even have to go directly to those places. We can just go to YouTube or we can go to other sites like that that would host that kind of news coverage. And we barely have to even do any of the real heavy lifting. Cerebrally speaking, a lot of what was, what was in place is no longer feasible anymore. Yep. That is actually a fair point. The, the society we have is currently extremely fast-paced, and it makes us it, it makes us value our time to the point where we don't want to be bothered with ex with, with wasting much of our time doing trivial things where we can do just about anything else uh, that we would rather do. Uh, and unfortunately, re- keeping up with uh, with news current events. Is starting to become more on the more on the tedious side for many people, and the reason for that then there are very, there are various various uh, factors that lead to it. One of them in particular that I feel is simply losing the the goodwill of the people due to the fact that over the years, uh, many media source outlets have been exposed as being essentially liars and just shattering the goodwill of the people not entirely so there are still people that still watch and still read the 
um, their articles, so they haven't completely lost the goodwill. But most people would rather find alternate sources, or some to the extreme won't even bother because at this point, if things are this hectic, why even bother? Uh, why even bother going to it in the first place? You know, you, you might as well just live in your own inner circle and just hope things don't get worse than they than they already are. The problem with being insular to that degree is you risk isolating yourself a great level of knowledge and or at the very least information and with things moving as fast as they often do with current events in the world being unable to unable to allow yourself at the very least the ability to dip your toe into the pool as it were we run the risk of being caught off guard by something that might be a lot more monumental than you than you were originally thinking it would be. Like, uh, for example, what's going on with the housing market is something that people should be concerned about. If you're that, if you're worried about what's actually happening, or if you don't care and you just are in this for the money, do whatever you want to do. But if if you're concerned with bigger businesses taking over larger blocks of single family homes to you know further rent them out and in perpetuity rather than allowing the the the, ho- the houses to go to newer families and letting those people flourish I, it, it, I think you need to make those decisions. Now, again, you may not be aware that it's a larger company like, you know, BlackRock or, or some other real estate company that's doing this sort of thing. But it's something that you should be aware of in, in and of itself. And if you're a buyer, uh, my, my, my suggestion to you is good luck. Um, these companies are spending 20% over uh, asking price in most cases. And if you don't have the money to be able to back that up, uh, I don't know what to tell you. I, I hope that you are able to find something before everything is gone. That's all I'm going to say to that. See, that's the one thing that does go on a plus with the moneyless, uh, moneyless society theory is that at, for an example, such as the, the, the market, Situation: the housing market situation. The game is rigged hard, and it's rigged hard against average people such as yourself and not you and myself. So when you have, uh, when you have these unfair, uh, you know, unfair economic and political policies or actions, should we say, there. There is an appeal to just simply negating the economic, the, the currency barrier, and just try and live uh, live our lives in a different manner and entirely. It, I'm not entirely against the idea of a moneyless society. I just believe that just like like any other economic theory. We need quite a few. Well, it, it, it needs a it needs a lot a lot of work. It needs a lot of work before it could be actually implemented on a scale as large as an example, uh, uh, as the U.S. It's it's not something that can be taken lightly. Because let's get this: even cap, even capitalism itself, as much as I am a capitalist. It is not. It has not been a. It has not been an easy uh, theory to to practice, and it has had its flaws. The Gilded Age is one example of capitalism at its worst, and it took decades of refining and implementing uh, political um, economic barriers. And, de- and debuffs to to sort out and undo or at least help undo some of the damage that it's done 
And some would even argue that we are in a similar predicament today. Now, I can't say that for sure, given the, uh, the horrors that the Gilded Age brought to people back then. But I can understand why they would think that would be the case. We clearly, we clearly are currently living in a society where much of the po political power is held by the wealthiest in the nation. True. Very true. And one of the major, one of the other major headaches that we're contending with at the moment that are probably, that is probably making people much more susceptible or at the very least much more willing to accept the concept of, um, moneyless society is inflation is something that we are dealing with now and will be dealing with probably for the next five to 10 years because of the COVID crisis that had happened over the past year and a half. It's something that in, in an effort to try and stem stave off some of the bleeding, our government has decided, had decided to inject a great deal of monetary value into our system to try and keep things floating. The problem with that is, is it's just a kicking the can down the road uh, solution that will uh, will come to haunt, you know, us later and future generations as they step into adulthood, putting them behind the eight ball just as they're stepping out of high school in some cases. It's uh, it, it's a damn shame to say the least. <clears throat> When you say that, are you just saying just simply for the fact that they've done things like uh, like the stimulus, or are you uh, considering other factors here? Because I would be considering one particular factor that people aren't going to necessarily like, and that's the minimum wage increase. The minimum wage increase, increase has been something that has been a back-and-forth argument for as long as I, as long as I've been in the workforce, it's something that the, the concept of a living wage is a hotly debated topic that I don't choose any particular side on that because both sides make valid points. The problem ends up being is that when you raise wages in one area or across the board, you create a domino effect that no one seems to be aware of. Or doesn't factor into the process because, in, in in all honesties, the expectation is that people should be paid a certain amount to be able to survive and live. There needs to be a baseline level of survivability and comfort that we all should have access to from the moment that we are given to the adult world, and obviously before then. But that's usually handled by parents. Now, do you agree with that aspect? I I agree with that, actually. I do agree that there should be, at the very least, a, um, a wage where a family can, at the very least, be able to live. Otherwise, what would be the point of working? Now, the thing is, is that because we have quite the quite diff, uh, quite a diverse amount of uh, different trades, fields, and jobs. Where would we even consider those jobs to be uh, able to provide? Because the idea is that that for those who are strong proponents for the minimum waging no for the minimum wage increase is that every single job should offer it. And in my humble opinion, that's where I disagree. I disagree with it because the idea that every job holds that bare minimum value is not in the slightest true. I agree with you wholeheartedly. What is often put off the side in favor of a much more... I don't, I don't know, 
delusionally optimistic viewpoint, for lack of a better term, is the, the, the concept of the stepping stone philosophy is very much in place with regards to employment. When you're younger, you are given to working much more menial jobs because you are you're, you're like a lump of clay. You haven't been shaped yet in a way where you would be valuable to the work to a to the working environment where you could work a much more advanced job, either by collegiate collegiate choices or trade. So working things, working jobs that have minimum wages that are pennies versus the dollar, as it were, where your mini, minimum wage was, I, I think we're at, I, I don't know specifically our location, I think we're at 10 right now. I could be wrong, 10 or 9. Um, but that's supposed to be the basic building blocks for you as a young working individual to go, I am going to take this, I am going to spend a little bit of it for frivolities and personal things that I may need. I am going to save the remainder and build up into something better. Okay, that's your building block. That's your basic step. The first step that you were taking into employment, if you're doing it as a teenager or if you're doing it as, a, as an adult fresh out of high school, whatever your case may be. You are now working towards something much greater. Now, that may mean that you were either staying at home if you're doing this as, an, as a young adult, or you're already in, if you're in high school, you're already at home, or you're a roommate with other people who are in similar economic situations, but you are building towards something greater and you're saving as you continue to move forward so that you can buy basic amenities that allow you to build up to greater things, greater employment greater luxuries as it were and greater uh, greater self accomplishment self betterment and self sustainability in most cases as you move forward realistically speaking these things should be all in the lower tier of income regardless because you aren't necessarily in need of $15 an hour in those cases because you are either using your money that you have in conjunction with other people or you're in college and you have a payment, you already have a meal plan and you already have a place to live. So all the money that you're keeping is either going to continue college or to save up so that you can do something else with it. These are all things that you have to be keeping in mind. These things, these are things that need to be instilled in people as they're, as they're growing up especially when people do get into the teen years and they're able to start working for themselves. This is especially important for me because my son is stepping into a couple of years from employment age and he has already stated that he's going to work. He already knows where he wants to work. So he's, he's aware of the stepping blocks that are in place and he knows what he wants to do and stepping up from that. So it's much more encouraging to me to promote that for him and want him to do that sort of thing as he's moving forward in life. Absolutely. And good on him for having the ambition to at the very least plan out his route of employment. I think that's something that more young people need to do nowadays at the very least, if they're going to plan out their careers, not just outside through college. I think it's a, I think it's a fine way to uh, to bolster their chances of success. Now, reality now reality stems in because let's face it, what we're what we what you just stated was a more ideological approach to how how employment should be in this country, at least in this country, for instance. Um, but there are people who are past the high school age, who are past the college years who are in their 30s and 40s and are working in places such as retail and uh, and fast food, what will we say to these sorts of folks who, who, who continue to work there 10, 20 years in? Because in all honesty, this is kind of the this is this is the main crux of the problem where people are still working in those types of jobs. 10, 15, 20 years in. 
And so, in my in my opinion, in my opinion, they this is what ends up creating the cycle of problems that we've had. When I was just out of high school, people my age and a little older were complaining that it was difficult to find work because the previous generations would not leave the would not leave the job market. And the reason they couldn't leave the job market was because many of them were still holding the very same low positions that people such as myself at that age would have had to have taken. And the cycle continues that now Pete, now that 10 nearly 10 years later, or should I say 10, 10 years later, now we're the ones who still hold the entry job positions while those now younger than us are arguing and complaining that we refuse to leave the entry top the entry job positions. It's a cycle that continues to fulfill even when even when we have made those same complaints a decade prior. And the old the, the sad truth is is that eventually we have to leave those entry job positions because it's no because our refusal to leave is stagnating and preventing the future generations from entering the same job markets because as because surprisingly enough we don't have enough job positions for everybody on a yearly basis so eventually you're going to have to get out and fill, and find yourself a higher position or a better paying job if you want to make it. And I believe that if you keep the livable wages in those entry-level positions, it will make it that much difficult, that much harder for those people to leave. Because why should they go and find themselves in a harder position if they can just stay where they are and make easier money? Because there are people who will simply take the easier cash, even if it isn't as much as they would like. And we have seen it firsthand so far through the unemployment in this country where instead of going back to work, they would rather take even a lesser pay if it meant doing nothing. So let me give you a bit of, in, a bit of information or at least a bit of a story. Uh, my grandmother who had passed away, I think it's about five years now, five years ago, um, she died at 82 or 83. Uh, she was still employed. She was a manager for a liquidation company. Jesus. She refused to retire at age 63 when she was allowed, when she was given to, she continued to save money. She had a, a sizable savings. She'd already had everything earmarked for her children to take up. And she was going to continue working. In fact, she wasn't expecting to pass on when she did, I imagine. And in fact, had already earmarked since she had passed away just before the uh, school seasons or before fall started. She was already planning for her for a knee surgery that she was getting and for Christmas for the family. This is the kind of forward thinking individual we're talking about here. She never really had any particular faith in the people who worked under her though she respected them but this is the mindset of individuals who do not want to give up their freedoms as it were 
the freedom to continue working if you are able to, the freedom to do what you want with the time that you are given on this planet. The problem with this is, is if you do not feel the people you are working with are able to take over your job, you are never going to allow them to ascend to your position. This is, I, and this isn't even generational. This is just individuals who are in positions of authority and have a great deal of success in those positions. And even as they get older and getting closer to those years, if they, ha especially if they have particular lo loyalty for the company that they work in, that will make them less and less inclined to step away from their position, either because of personal feelings or because people in their company have a reliance on them to continue working. That's more of a sense of pride towards their job, though, isn't it? It's also one of the seven deadly sins, and it's one of the reasons why we don't have the effective turnover rates we need for people to ascend to, pos to positions of greater responsibility. That's why you have stagnation of people who are in their 30s and late 20s and even in their, high, in their early 40s who are still working in menial positions because the managers above them who are tipping into the 60s refuse to leave their position, either through stubbornness or through this vain, unnecessary pride in the work that they do, that they, didn't not, they did not feel compelled to pass on their information. That we hear so much about elders and about systemic uh, systematic wisdom that they have. They very rarely are willing to relinquish that information. In fact, they covet it as much as as much as as much as any individual would a, a bag of gold or a plot of land that has some kind of vein of mineral in it. And it's created this 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 uh, imbalance. Because you have these, you have generations of people who don't know what they're doing and cannot ascend beyond where they are to greater to, to greater bounties because there is a ceiling, a a generational ceiling above them that they can never break through. So you have these people who are literally waiting for the individuals above them to kick the bucket so that they can potentially take prominence. And by the time that will happen, because our medical, our medical technology is advanced enough where people are living well beyond where they were 20, 30, 40 years ago, you now are going to have these people who are sitting there just tapping their feet, working menial jobs, creating disjunction because there are people behind them waiting to take up their entry-level positions and can't do so. Now you tack on the $15 an hour and those individuals have no reason to leave their positions because the individuals above them now get a pay raise because they have to raise and get prorated for the rate that's been put in place below them. And it makes things even harder and creating a terrible domino effect that will completely destroy any particular balance that may have ever existed in the workforce. That's actually a very fair point. Uh, I guess since you, you actually you did say it was the higher ups that would have to get paid proportionally more, and that's a f because I was about to say like there are people who which I worked with and when they uh, they didn't get they didn't get a raise from when they uh, when everybody else was getting their minimum wage raised up to fifteen, and uh, they went and they were making over they didn't get a they didn't get a penny increase whatsoever. But they are all still technically in the same general uh, tier as the rest of us are. So I guess maybe – I guess it doesn't really count for them, unfortunately. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret. And I don't know how much of a secret it is to most people. But I'll, if you weren't aware of this, it's something that can, you can be informed of. Companies have hard caps on what any given position can make in their company. It is the most you will be able to make as that particular position to a fault. So if you started the job at 10 and you're doing general labor for, I don't know, construction, or if you, well, most constructions are making more even at general labor, but if you're making, okay, we'll say you're making 20 because that sounds about right for construction. You're making 20 as a general laborer. You are hard capped at we'll ballpark it and say 25 is the highest you can go as a general laborer without continued education 
or a promotion to a different position, be foreman or some sort of associate position, whatever. I don't know what the pecking order for construction is, so I'm just no. kind of spitballing. No, fair enough. What you're saying I is that over the years, even if you get raises, it will never be to the point where it's going past that particular mark. As long as you are within the general same position that you're in, you will never get past that particular mark, no matter how how uh, no matter how much the min, uh, the the minimum wage laws can uh, can change. Am I correct? Correct. Um, because it, it because they're because of the the rules in place in the company, they have enough loopholes that they can pull that off. So the individuals you're talking about who are making well above what what uh, the the average is in 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 your company. They're probably at the hard, the hard ceiling, as it were. They're not going to likely get any further than that without getting some kind of promotion, which is unfortunate for them because if none of the people above them have any interest in either finding a way up beyond where they are at or leaving, uh, they're going to be stuck there forever. And yeah. again, that creates yeah. the stagnation. Jesus Christ! One more variable to add to the bull crap. The thing is, is that the, the, the thing is, is that people are some people are comfortable with mediocrity in that regard. People that talk about the people talk about ambition is something that you have to have. You have to have the drive to do better. Some people are okay with doing what's doing the bare minimum and getting the bare minimum. If they don't, especially if you live a, live as a minimalist, you really don't care about having a great deal of money. You just need enough to pay whatever bills you need to pay and, you know, get whatever meager eats you're going to get. Some people there's, just live Spartan like that. There is one individual that I uh, happen to have the pleasure of speaking to at work. And uh, he would, he told, he, when I asked him how long he was working there, he told me over 20 years. And I'm like, in the same position? He's like, yeah. I'm like, how do you manage it? How do you cope with working the same job for 20 years? Answer was, I don't know. I just do it. And some people, I was flabbergasted because I go insane working at my job every day. And I was like, do the thoughts in your head just not consume you? Do the me does the mediocrity and the menial task not consume you? And he goes, no, not at all. One of the major things that you have to understand: How old was this? Is this individual? This dude is in his fifties. Of that generation, there was a certain work work ethic that was put into place that being with a company for an extended period of time. And then retiring was the way to go. So in his head, he's playing the long game. He probably has been saving for saving for a while. He probably I'm sure has. He I'm sure he has some kind of retirement fund set up. So for him, it's 20 years he's willing to eat up. It's another tw 10 years if he's in his 50s or less until he can retire. We'll we'll, we'll be we'll be uh, conservative and say 15 years until his retirement. That's what he's thinking forward on. Now, the risk in this is that it could blow up in his face real easy if that company goes defunct. It's not feasible because the particulars of your company are a bit more necessary than, like, say, another type of factory or something that could get offshored. Yeah. So he can he can play the long game pretty comfortably, and he doesn't care about the mediocrity as long as he's making the money he needs to be able to throw his, you know, fifty to one hundred dollars in savings every paycheck, and you know, pay off his bills. He doesn't care. Good for him. I'm glad that he's got achieved that zen because no one else, and I know of nobody in our generation who has any interest in achieving that zen. I mean, I'm same way. I, I, I'm happy for him. I think he's insane, but it was like, you know, good on you, man. If that's if that's how you want to go about it, I know personally, I would not. I'm. I know I'm not staying in that job for that long. That's for sure. I think it would go insane by the thought of it. That's that's you. You don't. You got to understand. The world is made of different people, and everyone has their thresholds, and everyone has their patience levels. You're talking to someone who worked with the company for 12 damn years. 
it's very difficult for me not to see the value in what he's doing, but I see your side of it too, because if you have to stay in place for that long, especially because you're young enough where you can actually shift and move still, it's much more reasonable for you to want to be able to shift to another job eventually, get to something a little bit more comfortable for you, or maybe making more money. Well, that you makes more sense than you. Well, you mentioned the upbringings of ge- that the several generation the, the generations have, and I know that at least in my part, my gener our generation was raised on not only building up a good career for yourself, but one that you enjoy. One that you know it, they would encourage us to make your hobby your career, right? And whatever, however, my job is paying me, and so far it's fine. My job is not my hobby. It's not my passion. And that's what drives me insane. It's going eight hours for doing something I absolutely loathe. I can't possibly consider doing that for 20 years. If it was a passion of mine, absolutely, I think I could go the distance. But not something that I genuinely detest. And And that that makes sense. That's what my perspective is on when I hear him talk about working there for 20 years. Like, don't you hate this job? And tells me, no, I don't hate it. I don't like it, but I don't hate it either. And it's like, it's baffling. But whatever. Like you said, many people do have different perspectives on things and their upbringings help, uh, help flesh out those perspectives. I'm just going, my perspective just has me perplexed and sometimes concerned. That's your, that's your perspective, not his. Again, fair. I acknowledge it. Just, I gotta, I have to let go of that bias. And that, and that's really the thing. You just have to be able to understand that not everybody's going to have your, your, worldview once you understand that you can kind of you can kind of be much more empathetic of other people because you can take into account how someone other than uh, someone whose paradigm is different from yours how they think fair enough i think going back to summarizing honestly i don't think the moneyless society is something that's going to be happening anytime soon I've been hearing rumblings. There, there have been articles that have appeared out of nowhere and then disappeared just as quickly that talk about that we're eventually going to live in a society where you know we own nothing and we'll be happy. Ownership is a very finicky thing. I don't think it's coming anytime soon. Even if people are you know reading the signs that you know we're we're going to end up in in, in some kind of pod world where we're all sleeping in pods. We 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 eat simulated food and. And, and and we like it. That, that, I don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon. And I don't think anybody with, with uh, the the upper brain function is going to assume that that's going to be the end the end goal for most people. Listen, if we're going to live like anything like the Matrix, I better have the same abilities like Neo and the others have to make it worth my while because. I don't want to be some regular human being stuck in a pod for all eternity if I can just be a human being. <laughs> that wasn't the type of pod I was referring to, but it's funny all the same. I'm going that far only because, well, if we're going to even humor that idea, why not go the... I forget their names, but why not go the 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 creators of the Matrix way? I mean, fair enough. <laughs> well, with that, I think we have covered quite a bit and had uh, have another foolhardy, successful episode. I would concur. Well, with that said, thank you everybody for joining us for another grand cruise of the Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. We hope you enjoy our little cruise, and we hope to see you next week for a brand new topic. 
We have more to discuss, I'm sure. Thank you for listening in to the Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. We are humbled that you have given us your time to listen to us discuss things. If you would like to hear more from us, you'd like to see more from us, uh, I have personally a account on Twitter under the name of Ragnarok Knight. My co-host here also has an account on Twitter as well. He goes under the name of Punk Toast. We also have a Facebook page under the name of Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. If you would like to uh, check that out for updates on when we have our sessions. We also have our voicemail link in the show notes. We will be having voicemails read during the course of our records going forward, as long as there are voicemails to be re- to be listened to. Um, any further inquiries on that, uh, do feel free to PM either of us on Twitter, or you can go through the actual Facebook page to ask us any queries as well. Thank you so much to all of you. Safe travels to you all. Cast off, friends. <laughs>